We're working our way through the book of Hebrews. We're at Hebrews chapter 4. And the title for this morning's teaching and next week's teaching, and maybe the week after that. My folks used to listen to uh, LPs. They're making a comeback. I should have kept them all. And you'd be listening, and after they've been scratched in a few places, you'd be listening to some song, my mother listening to something by the Melody Four Quartet or George Beverly Shea, and it would come to a place where it had been scratched. And you know how it just goes clunk, and you hear the same thing over and over again, clunk, clunk, clunk. I'm kind of stuck on Hebrews 4, 1, and 2. Um... Things that have been helpful to me. Maybe you knew them all before, but to me, just some insights that have been helpful, and I'm, I'm hoping to share that with you. The title for the next few weeks, The Hearing of Faith, Why You Might Not Believe What You Think You Believe. Hebrews 4, 1 and 2. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands... Let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. If you're reading from a different translation, you're going to notice something happen in verse 2. This is the ESV. For good news came to us just as to them. But the message they heard... Did not benefit. That's his point. Did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. The story, the 12 spies, Joshua and Caleb, God's promise is true, let's go in and take the land. The 10 refused. Help us, Lord Jesus, as we look into your word. There's just nothing more important for our hearts than to be fed by the word of life. And so come, Holy Spirit. Just as in our physical diets, people who may be eating too much of the wrong thing and not enough of the right things, for the many of us who are unaware of our malnutrition of your word just through the busyness of life. Come and give us eyes to see that we might treasure what we learn. Holy Spirit, work that miracle in all of our hearts. And in your name I pray, amen. You can tell this is one of those passages the translators had a difficult time transposing into English. And the difficulty is found in the last part of that second verse. And I don't think there's any benefit to a church in pretending that this issue isn't here, so I just want to be talking about it for a little bit. The ESV says, God judged these people were judged by God as faithless, and they missed God's promised blessing because they were not United by faith with those who listened. 
That's also the translation route taken by the NIV. The key idea in these two verses is translated slightly differently in the very literal uh, NASB, and I want to show that to you. Therefore, let us fear, lest while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you should seem to have come short of it. For indeed, we have good news preached to us, just as they also. So that much is pretty much the same. But the word they heard, the word they heard, did not profit them because it, and the it is the word, it was not united by faith with those who heard. Now you can't help but notice there's a slight difference there. So the it, in the last phrase in verse 2, because it was not united by faith with those who heard, that it is the word. They didn't hear the word and mix it with faith. That's the New American Standard. And so it makes it a bit more vivid, this idea that the failure of Israel to enter the promised land was due to their not combining the message they heard, not mixing it with their own faith. And that's the translation route also taken by the the old King James, if you're using that, or the new King James as well. The ESV and some other translations, the ESV says God's judgment on the people was due to their failure to uh, fall in line with the faithful twosome of Joshua and Caleb in trusting God. So, So these rebellious people didn't copy the faith of Joshua and Caleb when they heard the word from the Lord and the price they paid was pretty severe. They all died in the wilderness, that whole generation being barred from the promised land. Okay, so that's the issue. Either way, the thrust of the warning in all the English translations is 600,000 people heard good news, heard the promise, heard the word from the Lord, and didn't benefit from hearing it in any way. And the reason is they didn't respond in faith to the word of the Lord, to the promise of the Lord, to the command of the Lord, and enter the promised land. They listened to the negative report of the ten rather than the promised blessings of God. The text says they died under God's judgment in the wilderness instead of entering promised land rest. And the reason, says our writer of Hebrews is they didn't mix their hearing of the word with faith. Y'all still with me? I just wanted you to get a sense of what it's sometimes like. You have a Bible, I have a Bible. We study our Bibles. I wanted you to get a sense of what it's sometimes like to lay out the direction carefully of a text. And because we believe in verbal revelation from God... Words matter. Nouns, verbs, adjectives, adverbs. We don't honor Jesus and we don't honor the work of the Holy Spirit by being lazy in our study of the words in the sentences, in the paragraphs of our Bibles. And sometimes it takes a lot of work, but it's holy work. So let's establish this central point. 
We have two slightly varied translations of the last phrase of verse 2. And, and we shouldn't be ashamed of this. In a few cases, there's just no easy way to transpose the original language into English. Sometimes, sometimes you have a Greek word with no exact equivalent in English. You have to put something if you're going to translate. In other cases, a single Greek word can have multiple possible meanings in English, and a choice has to be made. But either way, there's a central point in our text that stands. Those people who perished after hearing God's promise, they perished because they didn't receive God's word mixed with faith. So that's what, that's what today's text is all about. Now, in one translation, the problem was the failure of the unbelieving. This is the NASB. The failure to mix their own faith with what they heard. Last part of verse 2. The word they heard did not profit them because it was not united by faith in those who heard. In the ESB, the problem is they didn't copy the faith of Joshua and Caleb, the faithful. So the last part of verse 2. The message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. But the end result is exactly the same. Those people who died in the wilderness, they received no benefit from God's word because they didn't mix the hearing of God's word with faith the way Joshua and Caleb did. That's the key point of all the translations. God's word brings no benefit without the hearing of faith. That's what the text is all about. That's our subject. I just took the long route to get you through the door and show you that that's what all the translations emphasize. Point number one. There are texts that speak with a bold, jarring voice. Let them speak without editing them to feel more culturally appropriate. Those are maybe some different words. This is not a subtle text. There's a very stern warning leading into today's text. And you can tell that by the way it starts with therefore. The therefore at the beginning of verse 1, it, it draws our thoughts backwards to the four verses Proceeding, you can read that in Hebrews 3, 16 to 4, 1. And the writer has been quoting these words from Psalm 95. I talked about that, but that's before Easter, so it's a little bit back in the past, but we looked at that. Hebrews three sixteen. For who were those who heard yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? 
but to those who were disobedient. All right, so now he's going to apply. Those are rhetorical questions. He wants to pinpoint this group of people. 19. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Now he's got our text today starting right here. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest, isn't this fascinating? It still stands. Let us, that's the writer to whom the writer of Hebrews was addressing these words, these Jewish believers, and us, by application of the Holy Spirit, let us fear, lest any of you any of you, should seem to have failed to reach it. Now, why should we care about those first followers of Moses who were destroyed in the wilderness for rejecting God's word at Kadesh about entering the promised land? Long time ago. What does this have to do with us? Here we sit, April, what is this, 30? Here we sit, 1000 Gorham Street in 2017 in this sanctuary. What does this have to do with us? I mean, the same question could be raised about our writer's lengthy quote from King David in Psalm 95. Why should the people in King David's day care about those same followers of Moses? Why does King David use those same wilderness people to warn the nation of Israel to make sure they take God's word very seriously and hear it with faith? I mean, why, long after the children of that wilderness generation had actually entered the promised land, does David still, in Psalm 95, hearken back to the rebellious generation that died in the wilderness? What's going on here? I'm just laboring to set our eyes on something so striking about this text. I mean, the same sin is being, is being tabled up, set up for our consideration in four different settings. The same sin in four different settings. First, there's the actual event. The rebellion of those followers of Moses at Kadesh, where they refused to hear God and go into the land. That's first. The second application, our Hebrews text quotes at length Psalm 95, where King David refers Israel back to that rebellious wilderness generation with the very same warning. Look at them. Third, the writer of Hebrews uses his letter to refer his New Testament Jewish audience back to that same wilderness generation. And then fourth, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we study the text, so we today are being called to remember that same rebellious wilderness generation. Just think about that for a minute. So we have the rebellion itself at Kadesh. We have King David referring back to it. We have the writer of Hebrews writing to 
that first century Jewish audience, and we have the church today being addressed by the direction of the Holy Spirit. It, it's truly unique. It's like sort of time travel through the same sin over and over in different historic settings. What is, what is going on here? And what's going on has everything to do with this first point. There are texts that speak with a, a bold, jarring voice. And, and we need to let them speak without moral editing. So refuse to soothe the sharp edges off of texts like this. I mean, allow the Holy Spirit his own voice in texts that seem a little jarring to our moral sensibilities. And here's the jarring point of today's text. The writer of Hebrews clearly intends that we see a a, a parity, a, a similarity, a link, a coupling between what can happen to us if we hear God's word without mixing it with faith and what actually happened to that rebellious generation at Kadesh when they heard God's word without mixing it with faith. So, so there can come similar consequences if we don't hear God with a mind and heart of faith. And I, I, don't, I don't think that's easy for us to believe. But this entire passage makes no sense unless what I just said is true. There's a danger of not hearing the word with faith for you and for me. And and we aren't just being asked to accept that with no evidence. We are being given an example of a previous group who did the same thing we might do And we're very pointedly shown what happened to them. Pastor Don, that's Old Testament stuff. We're New Testament Christians. And true enough. But that comparison, don't do what they did. Look what happened to them. Make sure you don't do what they did. That 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 is the point of the whole text is not open for debate. The writer tells us. You can see it. Look at your Bible. The first part of verse 2. Where he says, For good news came to us just as to them. So notice there's, there's an us and there's a them, right? That's not rocket science. And we are being linked together very directly in the opening of that second verse. They received good news. They didn't hear it with faith. They received judgment. We've received good news. Let us make sure we don't hear it the way they heard it. Or we, too, can face judgment from the Lord. If, if that's not the point of that sentence, then 
then I don't know, I don't know how to interpret it. In the very next phrase, our writer is going to punch his point home. He, he's going to tell us what makes all the difference between benefiting from what God says and perishing without hope after hearing what God says. That's where he's going. But first, he, he sets the table about the importance of what he's about to say. He wants to get me ready to care about what the hearing of faith is. So he's trying to show all of us what's at stake here. He's trying to show us today, so far removed from the original sin, he's, he's trying to show us how much this matters. He wants me to study the hearing of faith with, with a sense of proper urgency. He knows, let's face it, how often do we come into church week after week after week feeling that something urgent is happening? I mean, urgent. And so he wants to take, somehow, all of us here today who might not think it matters all that much whether we're bothered about this on Sunday morning or not, and he wants to have us get ready, get ready to feel the weight of what I'm going to tell you. So he's, he's probing for ways to make me care about the hearing of faith. He makes it very clear he's not out to soothe me with this text. Therefore, 4.1, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, say the next three words with me. Let us fear. It's almost a bit startling. Here's where I got bogged down and said, I, I just want to settle here in this text for a while. It's this next phase. Because it's a bit startling to just call to mind some of the very well-known Bible passages where we can quote them and read them and our minds almost, almost just hop lightly over the repeated emphasis the command to New Testament Christians to fear. Let me show you a couple of verses. There could be dozens, but I won't, I won't do that to you. Look at this, Romans eleven twenty. Paul's in this middle of an argument, and I'm not dealing with the whole argument. Paul writes, that is true. They, that's Israel, were broken off because of their unbelief. But you, Gentiles... Stand fast through faith. So do not, do, not, do not become proud, but fear. These are people under the covenant of grace. These are believers in Jesus. And Paul's dealing with this long argument. The, by and large, the original branches, the Jews have been broken off and you've been grafted in, but it's just by grace, he says. Don't start thinking you're something special. Don't presume on grace as just a way of continuing in sin. Fear, fear, he says. That's not Old Testament, it's new. Paul doesn't want the Gentile believers to become presumptuous or flippant or casually confident. 
to continue in sin just because Jesus is gracious? No. You, you tread not carnally, not arrogantly, fearfully. Look at Philippians 2.12. Here's a verse we all know. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed... So this is, this is the issue here, right? Obedience. As you've always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence... So anybody can do it with, like the Apostle Paul, standing over your shoulder. You'd be holy too if he sat in your car and went everywhere you went. Not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation. How? With fear. Paul wants these Christians to resist confusing grace with laziness. Uh, They are to apply God's grace to their sinful lives every day with this trembling. 1 Peter 1.17 And if you call on him as Father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct, so this is your daily life, right? Conduct yourselves with fear. Well, how long? Throughout the time of your exile. What's that? That's while you're between your birth and your grave. How do you walk as a child of Jesus? Second Corinthians seven one. Since we have these promises, see, so now he's talking about promises. So surely fear doesn't. When you got promises that. That takes away all the fear. Since we have these promises, beloved, so he's dealing with Christians, let us cleanse ourselves. What's that? Doesn't the blood of Jesus cleanse us? Tell me how you're going to grow in Jesus. How are you going to grow in grace? Let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit. The goal here, of course, bringing holiness to completion. How do you do that? Well, you... Fear. So Paul reminds us there's no way for holiness, without which the Bible says no one will see the Lord, there's no way for that holiness to be, to be uh, brought to completion, fulfilled, implemented, worked out in my life, apart from obeying God's command to walk in fear before him. And so, our writer in Hebrews is only reiterating the repeated over and over emphasis and urging of the New Testament when he says, therefore, while the promise of entering rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. We aren't really used to being called, commanded, to fear in our uh, more, more culturally adapted faith. Believe, uh, enjoy, celebrate, trust, rest, um, but not so much fear. Let us, let us fear. Let us, all of us, let us fear. It's a good fear, he seems to say. 
Don't shy away from this fear. Cultivate this fear. Feed it. It's, it's hard to make those statements fit comfortably in our heads. We've, we've pretty much removed the response of fear from our concept of grace. Now here's where we are. That's why I said there are times when just an honest dealing with the words of a text like today's text, they kind of, I said, jar a bit. I mean, we, we, we know the Bible's true. It's not like we deny it, but it's, but it's like they jolt us a bit. They, they go against our, our sensitivities. So that's the first thing. Let this text strike your mind with appropriate bluntness. Let me put it this way. Let the actual words of the biblical text recreate proper ways of thinking, proper categories of thought in your mind. By the way, that's what the Bible calls being renewed in the spirit of your mind. Romans 12, 2. So there are texts that, that kind of hit us more bluntly. We're less at ease with them. And I'm saying, good. There are texts that are meant to be felt that way. Let the Spirit have his voice. Okay, point number two. And we're, on, we're well on the path now, don't worry. This is the point from which the title of these kind of three segments come. Hearing the word with faith, you might not believe what you think you believe. I thought what I would do is place those two translations in front of you so you can kind of see them together. The ESV, good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit, so that's the same in both, because they were not united by faith with those who listen, Joshua and Caleb. NASB. For indeed, we have had the good news preached to us, just as they also, but the word they heard did not profit, so that's, that's the same as that benefit. Did not profit them because it, that's the word, was not united by faith in those who, who heard. So I've already addressed the issue with, with the translation of those two verses. But the central point is the same. I want to close talking about the hearing of faith, and then we'll, we'll really get into that next week. The point over and over is these first hearers of God's instruction at Kadesh were none the better, though they heard God speak. Didn't help one bit. In fact, they were much worse. Um, they brought great judgment on themselves. And the reason for this, whichever version you want to use, the reason is they didn't receive the word from God with faith. So here we are. What I need to know is, what is the hearing of faith? 
And the related question, how can I know I believe what I'm hearing from God's word? I mean, what tests shall I apply? Okay, that's what we need to know. What is the hearing of faith, and am I doing that? That's where we're going as we now, we're going to start to wrap up. We'll, we'll, just start, we'll just start prying the lid off of what I consider to be uh, one of the most important ideas in the New Testament about the hearing of faith. We'll take a whole week on it next Sunday. Here's a launching point. We know these words. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, the conviction of things not seen, hoped for, not seen. Faith is assurance, conviction, and it's got hope in it. So, faith turns the factual events and statements from God's word into objects, apparently, of intense hope. The assurance of things hoped for. This is, what, this is what the old King James was driving at when it translated with that very familiar, beautiful word, substance. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. The substance. Faith is, faith is making an invisible thing substantial. Giving substance to it. So, this is what the hearing of faith does. It gives, it gives actual substance. But not physical substance. Not material substance that you can hold in your hands. Because most of the objects of our faith either happened long ago. The incarnation, the cross, the resurrection, the ascension. The virgin birth. So most of the objects of my faith either happened long ago or are still in the future, yet to come. The second coming, the resurrection, new creation of heaven and earth. So faith can't give any of these events physical, material substance like this. We can't do that. The substance faith gives all these things isn't material substance, it's moral substance. The hearing of faith shapes present ambitions and values by the way it hopes in and longs for and aims at these realities not, not yet seen. So, so there's kind of a caution in this text. I think, I think many professing Christians do not believe what they think they believe. Because New Testament faith is not admitting the factuality of some biblical statement. That is not the hearing of faith. You do not... You do not believe something in the New Testament sense of faith just because you agree that it's true. You can believe Jesus died on the cross without putting faith in it. You can even believe he rose from the dead without putting New Testament faith in it.
I only want to do one example. Next week we'll do many. Consider the common expression of believing in the cross of Jesus Christ. When does a person believe in the cross of Christ? At what point is there this hearing of faith with the factual statements of the crucifixion of Jesus? Think about it for a minute. Is it when I say, I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins? That's a biblical fact, and it's gloriously true. Does acknowledging that and agreeing with that, does that constitute New Testament faith in the cross? Well, kind of, but I don't think completely. The writer of Hebrews says faith in something like the cross of Christ gives, it gives substance to that past event and turns it into a present moral ambition. And, and we're not left to guess how that faith in Christ's cross will manifest itself. The New Testament tells us how... how Faith gives substance to the death of Christ on the cross. I'll just give you two references quick. Paul speaks, I have been crucified with Christ. It is, it is, it's no longer I who live. But Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Before I comment, I have one other verse. Same idea. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. When you see passions and desires there, don't just think of... Uh, don't just think of, of uh, sexual sins... Uh, it's, it's the ambitions and the desires that are oriented toward Don Horban. What I can have, what I can possess, what I can achieve. My point here is that neither of those texts, Galatians 2.20, Galatians 5.24, neither of those texts is describing some kind of mental process. They're not describing something Paul remembered happened and believe was done for him. Both of them describe some kind of a moral process, a, a giving of substance in his daily life, bringing a bare factual event of Christ's death, giving it application in my present experience. That's what the hearing of faith is. Without that kind of faith... Pastor, this is like Sunday morning, and this is really hard. Why are, you, why are you doing this to us? Until I understand what the hearing of faith is, 
Paul predicts what the disastrous results will be with pinpoint accuracy. People will say they believe in the cross. People will say they believe Jesus died for their sins all the while, while believing in the cross, continuing in those same sins, falsely presuming they will be covered by some kind of make-believe grace by believing in the cross. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Where did he get that idea? That's, that's the hearing of faith about the death of Jesus on the cross. Okay? The hearing of faith about the death of Jesus on the cross doesn't leave it as an event back there that I believe in. It pulls it into life and says... I cannot live for my own desires. I cannot continue in sin because the death of Christ is in me. I don't just agree that it happened, and I don't just think it's wonderful that Jesus did this. I live it. I give substance to it. Are you getting what I'm saying? He will say the same thing about the resurrection... We'll look at it next week. He will say the same thing about the second coming. The Bible says this about all the things we hear with faith. They they don't just stay in the future and they don't just stay in the past. They have moral substance in my life now. And until that happens, whatever you mean by saying you believe in Jesus or believe in the cross or believe in the resurrection, until that happens, it's at least far short of the hearing of faith. That's why it's always called not just acknowledging Jesus. It's always called receiving Jesus. There's an intake that happens. It's real. There's a substance to it because you can see it in my life. It, it, It changes things. The hearing of faith. That's where I got bogged down, thinking about this. Because somehow, like it or not, whether we expect it or not, what that writer says, Hebrews 4, 1 and 2, what he's saying is, that whole generation heard God speak. And they died in the wilderness. And David takes that event... And he says, Israel, you remember this. The writer of Hebrews takes the same event and he writes to those Hebrew Christians and he says, you remember this. And the Holy Spirit takes the same text and applies it to me in the ministry, Bible school, all of that. Doesn't change this a bit, Don. You remember what the hearing of faith is. Don't let what happened to them happen to you. And everyone said, let's pray.